Hi, everyone. Welcome to the History Respawn Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker. And today I'm joined by my friend and partner on the show, John Harney. Hey, John, how's it going? Hey, Bob, pretty good. How are you doing? So with today's show, we're going to react to the new Call of Duty World War II announcements, uh, which was actually announced last week. And today on the 26th, uh, they debuted a, I think they've referred to it as a teaser trailer uh, for the game, which is coming out on November 3rd. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, the Call of Duty series uh, started out uh, in the early 2000s uh, with a set of games, I think the first three games, uh, which were set in World War II. Uh, but then around 2006, 2007, uh, the series began to branch into first modern warfare uh, and then finally into advanced warfare. Now, uh, with this year's upcoming game, uh, they're going back uh, to World War II, kind of bringing things full circle. Uh, and so the trailer uh, for today featured uh, a focus on the U.S. assault on Normandy. Uh, and it looks like it follows a group of soldiers uh, in the U.S. 1st Infantry. And uh, it, it kind of has all of the hallmarks of uh, Steven Spielberg production, uh, a la Saving Private Ryan or any of the other World War II movies that came out in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, so, John, what did you make of this trailer, and what do you think about Call of Duty going back to World War II? Well, you know, it's funny, Bob. I had a very similar reaction to you, which is the very first kind of, um, you know, verbal reaction I had as I'm watching it on my own was, oh, Steven Spielberg, you know, Saving Private Ryan very quickly. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting as it went on... Um, I've kind of, since the announcement was official, which wasn't really that long ago, I've been having this kind of weird meta exploration of what's going on because I, I kind of can't get my head out of the last time Call of Duty was in World War Two, and there was Medal of Honor and there was just so many World War Two games. Like there was, a, there was a pretty extensive period where you could play Halo or you could play a World War Two shooter and those were kind of, those were the big shooters and there were multiple World War Two shooters and of course there were so many iterations on those and it's funny because I've kind of been thinking about that a little bit in terms of um, kind of video game audiences and the extent to which video game audiences even rely on 22 year olds anymore, like is this Mm-hmm. Is this a cycle? You know, is this a cyclical thing or not? The other thing I've been thinking about um, with the Saving Private Ryan reference as well is the extent to which, you know, not just Saving Private Ryan, but also Band of Brothers, which of course came out of Saving Private Ryan in many ways. Mm-hmm. It almost feels, World War, Call of Duty World War Two almost feels nostalgic for 15 years ago's treatment of World War Two more than it feels like any kind of new treatment of it. Not that necessarily they are obligated to do that. Um, but it's just interesting to me as we've just gone past the 70th anniversary um, and we're on our way to the 75th anniversary, which I assume there'd be some kind of you know major interest. Um, it's, it's just kind of intriguing to me that this new game feels that it's dealing more with nostalgia for how we talked about this war 15 years ago than it does any kind of reinvestigation of the war. Now, that, I'm not, that's not going on much and I'm not trying to slag off anyone i'm not trying to criticize the game before it's even come out those are just kind of my initial reactions you know yeah and you know for me i mean if if i was going to kind of provide a a one sentence response to the trailer and to the idea of going back to world war ii i would say that this kind of feels like activision and call of duty trying to make american history great again (laughs) so 
the kind of era of good feelings of nostalgia mm-hmm. that w- was you know bandied about within that 90s context with regards to uh, this war in particular and i think you know there was there's been a lot of articles online uh reacting to this you know kind of making mention that this will help to bring uh awareness about world war ii to a whole new generation of players in the same way that battlefield one uh has done the same thing for world war one uh, this previous year when it was released but the thing is is that it seems like the tact or the uh kind of position that battlefield one took was to try to be more inclusive uh, about the war, whereas Call of Duty uh, WW2 uh, mm-hmm. it doesn't even spell out World War. Uh, <laughs> it misses it misses the world, not just in the title, mm-hmm. but it looks like in the game. I mean, yeah, here the- we are tw- twenty years after Band of Brothers, twenty years after uh, Saving Private Ryan, and we're still being presented with the same stock right. image of. Yeah, American troops in the first infantry at Normandy. Right. I mean, the, the, even the trailer ends with you know you're in it now, Tex, which is kind of like a super cliche <laughs> Vietnam style thing because hey, you know, hey John, John, Texas is like a whole other country. <laughs> well, that's true, but like no, but and I know that well. But you know, this it's it's funny. It raises it. You know, we talked a little bit about Battlefield One and not being able to you know control French troops and stuff, but. You know, is is France um, assuming this is going to put you after the Normandy landings? I'm not entirely clear. It looked that's what it looked to me like it was going to be. Um, it, it really looks like a post-Normandy kind of invasion of Western Europe, a reinvasion, a mm-hmm. retaking, liberation of Western Europe. I suppose I should I should say, not just suppose mm-hmm. I should say I should say it. Um, that's interesting to me. So does France become like an alien place for the player to kind of explore? It could be because my class is about to discuss Heart of Darkness that I'm thinking lots about locations, you know, <laughs> and Conradian kind of explorations. But I, I think you're right. And I, I think that that's, you know, it's it's early days. It's a little bit concerning. And, you know, in terms of making America great again, I mean, again, it really is reviving this kind of 90s thing. Isn't war horrible, but our boys did their best kind of thing. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't want to say is an invalid um, narrative to explore, you know. Um, but it does feel a little bit like we, we, we've kind of been here and it's kind of been done. You know, Ian Bogost wrote an article recently that has kind of been talked about as well, about storytelling in games and stuff. This is in its own branch, these big, big games like this. Um, but yeah, it's kind of been done. And then that's yeah. that, that 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 makes me a little bit nervous. Now, very quickly, um, I will say in terms of it making another generation aware and everything else, it does strike me teaching undergraduates, and I, I wonder, Bob, if you feel the same way. It really hits me sometimes that um, they don't remember, you know, the Berlin Wall falling, which you know is obvious because they were, you know, not alive. But you know, for me, it's very strange. <laughs> it's something I have to remind myself of, and. Even our generation grew up being familiar with the greatest generation because we, you know, they were our grandparents. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, and uh, this generation don't have that. And so um, I, I think there's something to that. I don't know if this game is the game to do it, but, but that, 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 that conversation does get interesting for sure. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously it's going to be important for how the memory of the Second World War develops going forward mm-hmm. you know i think yeah. it's going to have an even larger effect than when the original call of duty games came out because those were to a large extent just aping 
Saving Private Ryan, Band of Brothers, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas this yeah. is coming out without that similar context. And so it, it could have an even greater, more dramatic effect because there isn't a lot of discussion about mm-hmm. the Second World War and you don't have that much, uh, you know, done in terms of remembrance. You know, I think mm-hmm. uh, the last big kind of remembrance uh, thing in terms of pop culture was probably uh, Ken Burns' uh, documentary in the States, uh, right. which I think came out about 10 years ago now. Uh, so it's it's <clears throat> occurring in a context that is devoid of mm-hmm. a lot of the same sort of memory space that was available in the late 90s mid to late 90s mm-hmm. uh, and you know but it's still kind of proffering it's still kind of offering mm-hmm. that same sort of great generation narrative which has been so thoroughly investigated and to mm-hmm. a large extent debunked uh by historians yeah i mean it's 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 funny what i when i think of more recent references um, I think of, you know, like the first Captain America movie, you know, and I think of all these kind of references to Nazis and like even in the public discourse now, there are unfortunately some idiots identifying as Nazis and people identifying mm-hmm. other people as Nazis. And so, you know, that's not the same as remembering World War Two, as you correctly right. point out, like the actual conflict has been kind of, you know, absent. Um, and um, the greatest generation stuff I think is really interesting and is hugely challenging because of course it means something different from in Britain for example than it does in in the US you know mm-hmm. um, and of course obviously there are British historians many of them who who, who sought to investigate and, and debunk because that's, histo- that's our job um, but it's interesting to me of course the British experience the Battle of Britain holding out you know holding out mm-hmm. against the impossible foe that creates a different kind of a memory. Whereas here in the U S and Bob, you might speak to this better than I can. I guess part of the problem is that it's tied to that generation coming home and running America in the 1950s, which we're well past the stage of seeing leave it to beaver as like a positive thing, you know? (laughs) So there's all these kind of interesting aspects to it, you know? Yeah. And, but I think that there's a definite part of the American public today, many of whom may have voted for Donald Trump, uh, who mm-hmm. would like to see the country return to that same sort of cultural? Oh epoch, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. To return to that era, uh, and to try to harken back uh, to that greater America. And mm-hmm. I think that this is a moment, you know, especially where these kinds of you know elements of historical memory are up for grabs, right? Uh, right, right. The way that we remember the past is always in flux. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's always open to new interpretation, and this could mm-hmm. be a game that helps to to kind of recenter that history instead of looking at things like the Holocaust or looking at things like Japanese internment. We're instead going right. to be presented with the narrative that we had in the late '90s, which was mm-hmm. this was a great war, this was a just war. We did what we had to do, right? And we were the good guys. Yeah, you know, this has come up on Twitter uh, a couple of days ago, and you know, it came out. Um, I was speaking to Eugene Fister, um, who's a good friend of the project. Hi there. Um, hi there, Eugene. And uh, we were actually talking very briefly, just over Twitter, you know, um, about Wolfenstein New Order, of all things. 
Um, and, and, and funnily enough, maybe video games are already the only game in town for World War II memory. But what I think is interesting about Wolfenstein New Order is as much as it goes very kind of gonzo and quasi-sci-fi, thematically, that game is all about horror, you know, yeah. and body horror and, and terror at what happened. And thematically, I think it actually does a really thrilling job dealing with that you know um and and so so it can be done and and you know i keep thinking call duty world war Two. like what do they do in the pacific theater not that not that the not that the european theater was a picnic obviously it was far from it um but i mean you know are you going to collect the heads of japanese soldiers you kill and bring them home as you, we know u.s troops did do mm-hmm. um are you going to witness japanese civilians throw themselves off cliffs as a tragic result of the kind of propaganda being spread on the Japanese side, you know, the, there's so much you could do. Um, certainly yeah. in the reveal trailer, we're just getting lots of kind of, you know, hey, techs, buckle up. And and again, you know, we're not being fed much, but, you know, they, they do put some thought into what they show you first. You know? Yes. Yeah. You know. Well, there's a, a really helpful write-up uh, on Polygon.com uh, done by Colin Campbell, and he kind of met with the developers of this new game and he asked them uh, kind of point blank, you know, is there going to be space for other people in this conflict in this game? And uh, the developers have made mention already about uh, playable sections in which you will be uh, not just an American fighter, but also an African American fighter, Mm -hmm. uh, a female uh, member of the French resistance uh, and then also as part of diversity, and this is actually the first thing they mentioned, uh, was that you can play as a British man. <laughs> oh, dear. oh dear. Well, I mean, um, you know, as as a as a as an Irish national working in the U.S., shouldn't international people be diverse? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a bit. It's a bit of a yeah. Actually, an Irish man would be more interesting because like you'd have to do something different with that person, wouldn't you? Yeah. It's like you know. <laughs> I don't know what what he what I guess we'd be sneaking the Irish character would be sneaking British servicemen back across the border or something. Mm. Actually, that's just one small example. I mean, Ireland's not a great example, but there's so much cool stuff you could do on the periphery. Even getting away from the identity of the character, you'll be you'll be um, sorry, you'll be uh, controlling. Um, but even yeah, French Resistance is great. But you know, you went through this Bob on Battlefield One when we talked about it. Like, there's. There's a lot of stuff. Like there's so much material you could you could reap that won't make people think of Saving Private Ryan because you'll be in a different part of the planet, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, geez, yeah. even, frankly, even even Italy for God's sake has barely touched in a lot of these things. Oh, you know? I know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That was one of the more remarkable things about uh Battlefield 1 is that, you know, it failed in many respects, but you know, in terms of trying to represent other areas of the world, it at least made the attempt. Whereas I feel like this mm-hmm. game, you know, I think there was another piece on Polygon that went into this. It, it feels like tokenization, right? These these other yeah. diverse characters, yeah. including the British yeah. man, uh, are not going to be the central focus of the narrative. It's going to be an American soldier, uh, part of the First Infantry, which is a story that we've heard over and over and over again. And uh, Colin Campbell also asked the developers if there was going to be any mention of any of the atrocities committed during the war, war specifically the Holocaust. And mm-hmm. they gave a very vague response. I'll let uh, listeners go and look up Colin's piece on Polygon mm-hmm. and, and that section about the Holocaust is at the very end. And, you know, it's funny, you know, you brought up 
Wolfenstein, the most recent uh, uh, Wolfenstein game, The New Order. And in many respects, you know, when we did the History Respawn episode on mm-hmm. that, there was a lot of, point of points of criticism, obviously, because it's an alternative history mm-hmm. game. But at the same time, it did have some reference, uh, playable levels that were set in a Holocaust environment. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember uh, speaking tough. to our guests for that, that, you know, this, in many ways, this alternate history game has broached a subject that more realistic games have never discussed. And yeah. it's funny also in this article, they talk about historical accuracy in terms of getting the lighting and getting the sound correct, mm-hmm. but not really in reference to the story or the narrative. Well, it's the old chestnut of accuracy and things like that. But I mean, this isn't, if you haven't played Wolfstein New Order, this isn't a huge spoiler, but that game basically opens in an oven, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like when I played that game, I sat back and went, whoa, you know, like five minutes, they're not kidding around. Like they're, they're, they're addressing this. And you could argue that, I mean, it is patched up in alternate history, yada, yada, but come on, it's, it's so clearly evoking actual history, actual horrors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Wolfenstein New Order wasn't like an indie game. You know, like, it's not like, I mean, if you want to argue that, well, this is an Activision game, it's going to get all this attention, maybe we should play it safe or whatever. Well, you know, I don't necessarily agree. And and part part of it also, you know, this is the challenge to, if, if, if you're trying to be diverse just to tick a box, you're almost better off. Just we'll make your game about a bunch of white fellas from the Midwest then, you know. Yeah. Um, you're almost better off doing that because, yeah. because you are opening yourself to these criticisms now, whereas I think you would be better off looking into more diverse characters and forget forget the um, the political slash cultural benefits of that, particularly in terms of, of making members of your audience feel better. But I think it just opens up really cool storytelling opportunities. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, and I, and I think even the tokenization thing, it's unfortunate because I think that some people, whether fans of the franchise or those working hard on making the game, might feel that's more of a political attack when it doesn't have to be. It can just genuinely be a heartfelt critique of like, hey, come on, don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't do this halfway. That's that's yeah. kind of not the point, you know. And I think you know it's important that we're there to criticize this because mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of people out there who are very enthusiastic about this game going back to. World War Two and what that means for historical memory and how people are going to be exposed to the Second World War, but what history the game presents is important also, right? We can't just simply mm-hmm. be happy with the fact that it's dealing with this subject and we say, oh, that's great, you know, good job game developers, you know, right. helping to bring the past alive for players, you know. Mm-hmm. We've also got to be conscious that this history matters and that it's important to, you know, how we develop national consciousness how we think about ourselves not only in america but throughout the world and so the history it presents you know it has to reflect uh in some way i think uh the realities of the Mm -hmm. conflict um and i know some would disagree with that but you know we can't just be happy that that it's going to world war ii and just say oh well whatever history presents is fine right i mean right that just seems uh, that just seems uh, very naive, very immature. Right. And I mean, you know, listen, the the, the reality of um, history is I would love it if every person in the world got a history degree in university, but that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
for better or for worse, this game and other kind of products will provide some kind of a touchstone, some kind of an indication, almost a signal, I think, to audiences. Our society has decided that this is an acceptable narrative we're going with, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what these public history things do. Um, And I think I'm interested, you know, Christopher Nolan has Dunkirk coming out. I'm very interested Mm -hmm. in seeing what that's like because... It will get people interested, you know, and some people will see the movie, they'll go and get a book about Dunkirk or, or a book about um, about Hitler's advance or the Battle of Britain or something like that. Or they'll just look it up or or, or they'll get a get a, a lecture off iTunes University. There's all kinds of things that will genuinely happen. Um, and so, again, and, and, I, and I agree with you, and I think it's also important that this could be done constructively. I, I, I get frustrated because I, I really feel this isn't what we're doing, but people can get defensive in the current climate and feel like they're being harangued. It's like, well, that's not really what we're trying to do. Um, it's just, you know, and again, this is, we're talking about opportunities here, you know, and, and this yeah. goes back to my, and again, this is all just in a trailer and some, some interviews and stuff, but, <laughs> it, it, you know, so I mean, I, you know, that's kind of the caveat I keep coming back to, but it, the whole thing really does feel nostalgic for the last ended World War Two games more than it feels like any kind of exploration of World War Two. Yeah, and I guess if that's what they're going for, a part of me says more power to them. But but broadly, I agree with you that yeah, but you are you're you're now you're now making um, a contribution to the conversation, um, and and that's kind of almost beyond your power. Once that goes out there, it's out there. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I'm a little bit interested. Uh, in how this game is going to play with the kind of modern Call of Duty audience. Because, you know, for the past 10 years, they've been in either contemporary events or they've been in future events, including going to space uh, in the most recent game. And in that same context, you've had the development of the progressive multiplayer system with Call Mm -hmm. of Duty, which is built upon, um, you know, increasing weapon mods, uh, and then also having weapon skins and player mm-hmm. skins. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how that's going to play if the developers decide that they want to make the multiplayer more historically accurate. Uh, right. know, are they going to get rid of all of these you know, weapons mods? Are, are they going to get rid of Snoop Dogg uh, doing the commentary <laughs> for uh, this call? I'm wondering if that's going to be a point of conflict. I'm just, I'm really interested. I think that's probably the yeah. most interesting part of this whole conversation to me <laughs> i mean can can they afford to you know i mean yeah. i mean i want to see the multiplayer mode where like okay you follow that guy until he dies you pick up his gun and you go you know if you're on like the royal <laughs> and Stalingrad. um, um but <laughs> it's interesting and this is why video games are such a fascinating medium you know because part of it is if they um if they can bring something new to the multiplayer or iterate on it in a way that the fan base likes that that forgives many many sins after that you know yes. and, and call of duty is kind of a subgenre of shooter and I, you could argue shooters like this in general where yeah the story's okay but you're basically getting you're buying this disc to put multiplayer on it you know mm-hmm. and, and and call of duty is, has changed but like i mean you know we're not that far removed from you know you it, it's practically it, it, the game kind of plays itself while you hang out you know in the single player um and so I think, yeah, I mean, let's see, how do they do it? I've already seen articles online listing out the guns they're using, you know. 
mm. Thompson and all this kind of stuff. And so it's okay. This is another thing. Where does the kind of where does the gun fetish side of this genre of game fit into this whole conversation? Because um, mm-hmm. that that gets into something that we get as instructors all the time. Where I'm always thrilled when I have a student who's really into how the battles went and the decisions certain generals made and the artillery that was used and everything. But you're constantly putting them. That's great. And I'm really glad you know it. Can you show me now how you put it into a really intriguing analysis of why something happened? You know, like it, yeah. put it in an argument. You know, um, so so we'll see. But I've already seen the articles popping up listing out the various guns you'll be able to put your hands yeah. on. And I, I think it is interesting, like you said, because video games they offer not just the potential for interesting narrative uh, kind of developments but also mechanical developments you know video game mechanics mm-hmm. how is this game going to be treated in terms of mechanics especially when it comes to multiplayer and will players have any issue with say playing as germans mm-hmm. in the multiplayer right yeah um, I, yeah I don't remember that being an issue in earlier iterations of uh, call of duty but it could be today i don't know um Mm-hmm. It's just kind of an interesting thing, is or a Japanese how, soldier, for that matter, yeah, a Japanese know. soldier. How is this yeah. game going to be received by players from a mechanical standpoint, but then also from a narrative standpoint? And you know, I think what you're saying is true that this game, mm-hmm. even if it has its faults with narrative, it could lead players to go off and to mm-hmm. check out a book from the library, which is the hope of every historian. Uh, probably a further hope is that that book checked out from the library is their own book, um, <laughs> but or John could, or one of John Keegan's books. You know, either way, yeah. Or it could be the case that they never they never play the single player campaign. They only stick with the mm-hmm. multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Could be the case they do both the multiplayer and single player, and they never check out a book. And mm-hmm. this view of World War II is the only one they ever get. Um, mm-hmm. I think those are all real possibilities. So, I think so. And that puts weight on this. I mean, I, I, I'm i really intrigued. I think something that's worth keeping an eye on is that this whole time in between Call of Duty World War II games, there have been a whole bunch of World War II games on PC. Um, mm-hmm. and orchestra games and games like that that, that, are, that are for a very different kind of an audience, you know, um, where Call of Duty excels and um, I'm sure will excel again. And where Halo excelled before it is, here's a shooter turn your console on, go online, you're playing multiplayer games, now go back, as opposed to the slightly more, I mean, even an Arma style or playing a World War II mod, maybe an Arma, where you're sitting down for like a good solid couple of hours and all this kind of stuff, you know. Um, I'm kind of interested because there's a subset of gamers uh, who've been playing World War II games the whole time. Yep. Um, and, you know, Hearts of Iron and things like that. So it, it, that's another, I mean, I guess I, I hope I'm not focusing on the meta stuff too much, but this being an Activision game, this being a Call of Duty game, it really, it really does lend something to it. Um, and you know, saving part of Ryan is one touchstone. I keep thinking of Braveheart and all the fuss that Braveheart <laughs> has caused for historians down the years. Um, for those who don't know, you know, Mel Gibson correctly portrayed the English as a bunch of horrible, um, you know, thieves, and uh, you know, they got upset. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mel Gibson made the exact same movie, but he called it The Patriot three years later. Um, but I guess I'm thinking of Braveheart because it's it was just big and schlocky and fun, and and it was in broad strokes in the way that Call of Duty games would purport to be broad strokes, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that 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 does change the terms, and I don't I don't think it should be an excuse, as we're already saying, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, 
I think that does it for our historian hot takes. Uh, <laughs> I was going to originally call it hot historian takes, but then I thought that that would be a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we're not there. Well, we might have been we're there not, 10 years we're ago. Not there. We're not there. We're not there. there. <laughs> you may have been there. I was never there. Um, <laughs> but I thought we'd wrap up the show by kind of talking about some of the things we've been playing, uh, historical game or otherwise. So, John, why don't you go ahead? Sure. You know, it's been a while since I was on the podcast. I play. I've. I had a weird phase of playing lots of stuff. Um, but I've been playing two historical games really recently I wanted to talk about um, Neo and Urban Empire um, so I'm going to talk about Neo first um, uh, I started playing it a few days ago with the intent of doing something for history to respond and for, for those who don't know Neo is a Playstation 4 game um, which is kind of Team Ninja's take on a Dark Souls type game mm-hmm. and Team Ninja are very famous for Ninja Gaiden and, and these kind of these these Xbox level games in particular um, it's a great game I'm really kind of uh, pleased with it I like Dark Souls type games but I had no idea how gonzo the history was going to be um, <laughs> I just thought it was you know I knew it was kind of samurai based but you actually um, you actually control an Irish pirate um, who starts off uh, imprisoned in the Tower of London right mm-hmm. and you get these kind of splash screens giving you little bits of history a little bit like assassin's creed you know it's like the mm-hmm. tower of london londoners believe that if the tower of london ever falls the city will collapse i'm sitting there going hang on this is okay we're um and meanwhile it turns out that there's these magic stones in the land of japan and there, i'm excited because there's um there's lots of cool stuff here so 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 far the game is based on this idea that there's some kind of magical power in japan that makes these japanese guys powerful in the year 1600 and that actually and because these are japanese developers it intentionally evokes the kamikaze the divine wind that saved Mm. japan from mongol invasion all these kind of i mean i'm seeing these references for sure and what i'm really excited to get to and i've barely scratched the surface of it is and what i want the history respond episode to be about is the way the game deliberately evokes japanese spirituality specifically the yokai Mm. and other kinds of local folklore already um the game's kind of version of the dark souls um uh, bonfires are kami shrines, local Japanese indigenous cult shrines, and mm-hmm. so it's interesting. And um, what makes it additionally fun is Team Ninja's um, interesting take on you know uh, history. You know this kind of <laughs> calling it over the top wouldn't be fair. It's it's and I, but I also I was going to say it's more nuanced, but it definitely isn't more nuanced than over the top approach. It's just it's a very team ninja approach. So I'm I'm really enjoying it. It's it's a really interestingly pitched game. I will say if people are listening um, and are curious about Neo, uh, those who described it as a take on a Dark Souls game but not a rip off of a Dark Souls game were were broadly correct. It, it's really intri- It's really intriguing how. They've clearly borrowed the Dark Souls ideas, but it's it's totally their own thing. Um, and yeah, and I'm controlling an Irish pirate who has samurai skills running around 1600 Japan. So let's see how that goes. <laughs> That's Neo right now. <laughs> so so I think the, the only question I have for you, and that all sounds really great, really interesting, but how is the Irish accent? Um, I figured out who's Irish from the accent, which is a good start. Sometimes you don't know until the game tells you you are Irish. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> 
you know, it's funny. Um, it, it is an Irish accent, but it's kind of it's kind of a you know later phase Gabriel Byrne Irish accent. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like mm. he sounds Irish, but he's been in America a while, and it's funny because it, for me, it's kind of congruent with the whole white character in Japanese game thing. Um, it just all kind of matches together beautifully, actually. So mm. um, yeah, so it's a it's a de- it's it's a decent accent. It's it's it's, it's no it's no Tom Cruise in in Far and Away. That that's the. Uh, Whatever the opposite of the gold standard is, what, that, that's Tom Cruise. What about, what about Leo DiCaprio? In, uh, oh, that's not, you know. New York. Well, this is a touchy subject for you, Bob, because you love that movie. It's not a, <laughs> he does not do a good accent in that movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to admit that the accent in that movie is terrible. I'm I think we can, do that. we can agree on that for sure. Yeah, for yes. sure. Um, uh, so what I, about uh, Urban Empire? Yeah, sorry. So Urban Empire then, um, you know, um, Calypso very kindly gave us a couple of codes for Urban Empire. And um, I've only really scratched the surface of it. Have you started it yet, Bob? I haven't. And okay. uh, I do want to let listeners know, particularly our uh, uh, patrons on Patreon, uh, that I am still hoping to produce uh, an episode for the YouTube series on Urban Empire, and I've already scheduled a guest. Uh, his name is Kyle Shelton, uh, and he is an expert on modern urban developments, uh, particularly for the United States, but he knows quite a bit about kind of the history of urban development uh, coming out of Europe. Uh, and that's, as far as I understand, that's the focus of Urban Empire, is uh, this kind of European yeah. urban development coming out of the Industrial Revolution. Yes, I mean he he's perfect. Um I mean the game is ostensibly kind of set in an Austria analog weirdly um as in a Swarelian kind of province of the Austro-Hungarian Empire mm-hmm. but you know I picked um um the son of Connor Kilgallen and Connor Kilgannon is this obviously person they've invented who represents essentially a socialist leaning working class kind of power base is what you ideally should be going with you know um and so it's a really interesting game because at the moment i i only just started so it might get more complex as i go it's a fairly simplistic city builder in the sense of you mark out districts you know people move in etc etc except that when you mark out a district you have to ask the city council's permission for it to go and you've got mm-hmm. to get you've got to get to get votes to pass and all this kind of stuff. So, I was scratching around with it and having a bit of fun with it, and I was like, I wonder, you know, I I I'm I'm kind of an easier um, I'm easier to convince as strategy fans go than others because I don't have the time, unfortunately, to put eight hours a night into these strategy games anymore. Um, so I was kind of okay with it, but I was wondering if it was a bit too shallow. But then I was kind of mucking around, and you can go and you can meet with. There's three parties. There's basically the left wing party, the right wing party, and then the kind of auto- the, the the party seeking national autonomy. Mm-hmm. And I just kept meeting with all of them and like cajoling with them, and wasn't really paying attention and was just mucking around. You know, my first game. I don't really care how it goes. Mucking around with the dynamics to see how the how the mechanics of the game work. You can meet with them privately. You can call them out in public. You can give a speech to the parliament. You can give an to the newspaper all these little things you can do um and then of course i wasn't paying attention to the fact that i was actually spending political capital every time i did that and so by the time i had to i I needed their permission to build a new district and get a hospital in town they all hated me um (laughs) and that actually that actually that really cheered me up i was like oh good i i completely accidentally made a complete mess of this game 
so that mechanic actually does work. <laughs> so the physical capital cool. mechanic works because I, I broke it um, wow. without really trying to. So I'm going to go back and do it again. And I think, you know, I kind of, I picked a kind of a socialist working class leaning kind of, you know, it's it, the whole thing is kind of a Tammany Hall thing, despite mm-hmm. obviously being set in Europe. So um, I'll go ahead, I think, and pick, pick my party and stick with them. And it should be interesting then because, of course, I'd be interested to see what um, Kyle says about the extent to which are they being anachronistic in the way they're kind of, for me at least, the way they're discussing kind of a, a quote-unquote left-wing party and a quote-unquote right-wing party is extremely, um, you know, analogous with current American ideas of those divisions. Um, which isn't to say they're inaccurate, but I'm just curious to see what Kyle thinks of those representations. Um, but it does mean that, you know, you, you'll have a party who is all about you installing a train station, but they don't want you to perhaps to, you know, um, lower the tax rates in a certain way and all this kind of stuff. So, right. so, yeah, so early signs are, are promising. I'm looking forward to scratching into it more for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, for my part, I've been playing a set of A historical games. And last month I jumped into Alien Isolation, which came out a few years ago. And I really enjoyed uh, the art style for that game. Uh, it's the graphical fidelity of that game is beautiful. Um, the design, the set design for that game is amazing. Uh, the voice work, I think, is really good. Sound design is great. Uh, but it all left me incredibly terrified. Uh, <laughs> I I used to love survival horror games, but and now that I'm married and have a kid and you know don't have much time to play them, jumping back into one now is it's a terrifying experience and I literally just can't stand it. I can't stand the game. I, I can't yeah, physically can't take it. It's too it, tense. It's funny because I, I had exactly the same reaction and it was yeah. honestly, Bob, it was heartbreaking because I loved walking around that, that world they created and the presentation yeah. of that to use the good old fashioned, you know, IGN review category presentation, you know, it was like so good. And I, I'm the same way. It's just too, it's too much for me. I can't play it. Yeah. So, I just, I'm like, you know, I can't do it. I, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't stand a game where I was being hunted by this supernatural killer. Uh, <laughs> and so I turned to a game in which I became uh, the supernatural killer. And that's the newest iteration of Hitman. Uh, which came out uh, in episodic format last year, all last year, and I picked up uh, the kind of, I don't know if it's, it's Game of the Year edition, but the full first season mm-hmm. of this new iteration of Hitman, uh, largely based on, on your recommendation, John, and I love it. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the, uh, the kind of sandboxes in which the game places you are incredibly interesting uh, the kind of different paths you can take in order to assassinate your targets are mm-hmm. always fun and often very humorous. Yeah. And uh, it, it it doesn't leave me with this kind of, you know, uh, sweat-soaked, terrified position <laughs> that I was in with uh, Alien Isolation. Instead, I feel as though, uh, you know, I'm the master of this domain yeah. and I could, <laughs> I could feel a little bit more agency and I can go to bed feeling good that I pulled off this uh, amazing uh, assassination without anybody finding me. I, I, you know, the most convincing endorsements of that game when the first episode came out were people saying 
this is what I've been waiting for Hitman to do for years again, you know, mm-hmm. and people saying, you know, this is my favorite Hitman since Blood Money and stuff like that. And the Blood Money reference in particular had gotten me thinking. So, you know, I, I had gotten it. I went on to recommend it to you, Bob. I mean, it's so good. And I'm so impressed by that game because you have all these, um, you can turn off all these various guides and stuff. You can basically find, you know, um, you know, ways of you can be led by the nose to kill your target in certain ways, and it doesn't ruin the game amazingly. And I want to go back and play that level again on my own mm-hmm. and just walk around and and then other things in terms of like hilarious stuff. Um, I had this. Uh, which is the level, Bob? Where it's the, it's the huge, beautiful hotel right on the river. Um, oh, that's Bangkok. Bangkok, that's right. And um, so the target, um, I figured out. He goes out, you know, he goes out to this kind of corner to call. He gets a call back from New York. Some, He's a sleazy lawyer, you know. He gets a call from this guy who's just killed somebody. And he's giving him sleazy lawyer type advice. And I kept screwing up and I kept not being able to get him. And then I found out that if I went up to this balcony in the hotel pretty far away, that I got a really good line on him, right? Mm-hmm. But I didn't have a sniper rifle. So I just used his regular silenced pistol and I unintentionally discovered this ridiculous glitch, which is for whatever reason, until I got a headshot on the guy, the game wouldn't let me kill him. So, and it's hard to get a headshot from in the game world. You're talking like a hundred yards away, right? Uh So I'm just repeatedly firing bullets into this guy's body while his bodyguard is going, where is it? What's going on? What's going on? Running around (laughs) looking for this killer. And then finally, I think literally my 18th or 19th shot, I finally got the headshot. And I got it, and it it was not the best way to get the level. But I just, I had this immense wave of joy of like, I broke the game, and it was even even better than doing it properly. Um, Yeah, I mean, it it would have been a bummer if that had happened a lot, but just to have that one moment where I broke it was just, it was just so funny. Um, and then, and then the last level, the Hokkaido level, I love that level. It was like, we're going to change up some things, and it works beautifully. It, it's, yeah. it's. I, I, I'm glad you liked it because I, I, I was really very pleasantly surprised just how much I liked it. Yeah, it was fantastic, and I've, I've been going back and replaying the levels like you mentioned, and uh, you know. I think the the tagline for the game is enter a world of assassination and <laughs> I, I have entered that world and I'm not sure I'm ever going to leave at least for the time being. Um, uh, but that's it. That's, that's what I've been playing. And uh, I think that does it for the episode. We've been, we told ourselves we were going to go 25 minutes. Here we are at 43. Uh, so we should probably wrap up any kind of final thoughts, John. Um, not really. Uh, <laughs> just that, um, <laughs> just that, just that it's it's good to be back on the podcast. And um, you know, as academics, the spring can get really busy for us. So I did do a bit of a stream um, a few weeks ago that was fun, and I, I think I will try if I can figure out when the kid is in bed and stuff. I might do a little bit of a stream of Neo once, maybe I'm a couple of hours cool. into it, and I have a you know a bit of a bit of traction, and I can run around and show people stuff. I might do a quick little stream of that and. I, I'm, I'm hoping to do a bit more of that stuff um, maybe as the summer comes. We'll, we'll see awesome. how that goes. Awesome. Well, uh, look forward to that. Uh, again, uh, History Respawn, you can catch us on YouTube. Uh, you can also follow us on uh, SoundCloud through our podcast feed, uh, which is also available on iTunes and Google Play. Uh, if you are feeling inclined, if you enjoy our work, then maybe give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, we've heard that uh, helps people find the show. Uh, also, uh, if you are feeling particularly generous, maybe check us out on Patreon. 
uh, at www.patreon.com forward slash history respond. Uh, and there you can sign up uh, to be a patron of the show, uh, which gives you uh, access to behind the scenes emails, uh, as well as voting rights on future episodes of the show. So you can tell uh, John and I what to play going forward. Uh, so with that, it does it with the episode. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.